How do we begin this again? Welcome to episode four of the Polis Podcast. My name is John. And I'm Ben. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about ideal cities, what our favorite cities are, and what could in the future make a perfect or as close to perfect as we can get. Kind of city. Exactly. 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 A city that everyone would want to go to and would be able to get to and live in comfortably, I think. Hmm. <laughs> So, John, you've been to more countries than me. You've traveled more than I have. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Throughout all your travels, where, you know, what are some of your favorite cities, the ones that you've been to that you feel just get it right? You know, they might not be perfect, but they get it right more so than maybe other places around the world. Yeah. it. You know, it's, it's a, a little bit dis- difficult to disentangle because I think so much of your experience in a place and your experience and perception of a city comes from what happened while you were there and your emotional state. Like Paris, as we talked about before, has a special kind of place in my mind because it was the first place that I went that I thought, this is a good city. That's because you had left LA and had gone to a place that you felt was more of like a real city, right? Exactly. Well, and it's the first place outside of LA that I spent any kind of substantial amount of time, more than a week or two. Got it. Got it. And so those other places that I visited, like New York, like Rome, London, spending four or five days in a place, you can't get a really solid sense, at least when you're a child. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like when I was 12 and I went to London, like I I had no idea what I was. I was like, oh, tall buildings. (laughs) So Paris has a particular thing, but it's difficult because I do have this emotional attachment to it. Mm -hmm. I think to name off a couple that are really Mm -hmm. big for me, Mm -hmm. Amsterdam is really close to the top. Munich is one of my favorite cities. And... Singapore is pretty hard to beat as well. Those three are definitely up there at the top, top of the list. And I'd probably toss Paris in there. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, New York, New York, to round out the top five, New York, (laughs) New York would have to make the list as well. Yeah. Got it. Perfect. Uh, So of those five, you know, are there things that you think that all of them have that put them in the top five, you know, a class above the rest Mm. or... Is there something specific to each that puts them in the top five? You know, what what sort of things stood out for you when you were there? Yeah, I think there are two or three threads running through all five of them. Okay. One of them that I think is extremely underrated, and as people might understand from my obsession with benches and parks, like parks and green spaces are essential. And while there is a lot of thinking that you should have a lot of small parks, in order for a lot of people to have easy access to parks, I think having a really big or several really big parks can really change the experience because it allows people living in this dense urban space to get out of that environment. It allows them to change their environment and get into a really big park. And if you look at Munich, if you look at New York with Central Park, Amsterdam has several really large parks. Singapore is completely surrounded by water and has, you know, botanical gardens and some some large parks like those things are really important and in all of those places those things are really good parks are really well done and Mm. a lot of places i've been this is actually a big knock on paris for me that i didn't understand fully while we were living there because i was right at the beginning of my travels i don't think they do parks particularly well like they're not (laughs) large enough to get what i'm talking about in terms of separating yourself from that urban environment separating yourself from the noise of cars separating yourself from all of the lights and everything like being in a different environment, I think is valuable for your mental health at certain times. So that's definitely something that is in all of them. The other two things that I I think about is a certain level of ease 
of transportation. With all of those, they all have either a pretty good train system, bus system, underground. When you look at New York, obviously they're famous for their metro. Subway. Sure. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. (laughs) For their subway. (laughs) You look at Paris, you look at Singapore, they both have very good transit systems. Amsterdam, less so, but it's so much more compact. It's not a very large city compared to many of the other ones. And it's really easy and flat to get around on bicycles that they do have a lot of regional trains it's really easy to get around munich also you know has a metro or a subway or whatever you want to call it and so that's the second thing pretty decent and easy to get around and i guess the third thing for me would just be kind of street life that there's a lot of experience out on the street people walking around Mm. cafes on the street places that you can be outside and not just enjoy life in a private space. Like where I grew up in Los Angeles, everything was kind of in the private sphere. You either went out to the mall or went to the beach or you were in your home or in your backyard. You were never out in a public space in the way that you would be on the street at a coffee shop or in a cafe or something. And I think that is, for me, just key to a good experience, being able to be out comfortable in public Mm. And that ties in with parks as well, because those are great public spaces to enjoy. For sure. I know I went on a little while there. What, what are your favorite no, cities? No, it's all good. Those are all really interesting things. I'll, I'll get to mine in a second. Sure. What I think yeah. is interesting, and I want to kind of specify from what you said, mm. when you look at parks, do you see them as, you said something that made me think, like, do you want them as places for you to completely escape the city? Or do you want them to be little oases in the city that, I don't know, you can still have the buildings around uh, you, you're still very much in the city, but there's green. You right. Know no, what I, I mean? definitely, like, I definitely understand what you mean. Yeah. Okay. Because to me, it seems like you're saying they should be complete escapes, which is fine. I just want to make sure, like, I want to understand that because that's, I think that's an interesting quality sure. for a park. You know, an interesting goal for a park to have. Yeah, I think it's useful to have parks be large enough that you can find places in them that you can escape. Like, you don't have okay. to have every park be that large, and you don't have to have every part of the park be an escape. Like, I think this. Actually, is an interesting comparison when you look at parks in China. Mm-hmm. I've mostly experienced them in Beijing. And there, they really do have parks kind of as this escape where it's separated off. Most parks tend to be walled off. There are two entrances a lot of the time. A lot of the time you have to pay entrance to get into the public parks. It's not a lot. It's like 50 cents, but it still annoys me. Mm. So they're very walled off. But the problem with walling them off like that is you don't experience them unless you're in the park, right? So they really are a separate space from the city. And I don't think that's ideal. The reason why I don't like really, really small parks necessarily as the only go-to and I don't like a lot of Parisian parks is because there's not enough of that greenery. The green space is really important and Mm -hmm. hopefully they are large enough or the city is quiet enough as it is that Mm -hmm. you can be in them and feel somewhat tranquil. Like I have a number of parks uh, back in Long Beach where I'm from where – you sit in the park and it's nice and green and there's just cars driving by at 50 miles an hour constantly. And you Mm -hmm. don't feel particularly tranquil because you're not in any way separated from that. In Amsterdam, much of the city has much less traffic and people are going much slower speeds and there aren't as many cars generally. And so you're not as inundated with that noise to begin with. So you don't need as much separation. So I I think it varies somewhat, but I think well-designed parks in a good city can serve both functions tranquil escape and just calming down your experience in the city generally Mm. yeah but the greenness of it is really important like gravel parks parks that are just pavement like in korea a lot of the parks that i experienced were just bricked over they were green kind of there were some trees 
but it was not grassy. There was not a lot of foliage. It didn't give you that sense of not being surrounded by concrete that you might need. Okay. You know, it's interesting you say that. I'm glad and I'm, you know, thanks for breaking that down because I think, I think of the, of the cities that I've been to, the ones that are ideal for me, it, it, you know, it's, it's hard to say there are so many that I love, but, uh, and, and I guess when I'm talking cities here, you know, you mentioned Munich, which is not necessarily as large as the others. I don't think, although actually, I don't know. Maybe Munich and Amsterdam are both under a million, I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But Singapore, Singapore is larger. Singapore is about 5 million. Okay. Um, Okay, yeah. cool. Well, okay. So, so yeah. So I think, I think when we're, we're talking about sort of ideal quote unquote cities, we're, we're talking about medium to large places, you know, you're right. Um, generally speaking. Pl- yeah. Right. Right. So, so I'm just going to keep it sort of in that range. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I think sort of my top five, one of them would definitely have to be Paris, you know, as much for the nostalgia and the special factor that comes with it. But Sure, it's hard to avoid. But also just because it's, you know, it's just an incredible city and there's a reason why it's so popular. True. And I'll go into like what I specifically like about it. So definitely Paris, then Tokyo. Okay. And I also, I'm going to include a little bit beyond the legal city boundaries. More um, of the metropolitan and, area is what you're thinking. Right, right, okay. right. That, that massive, ridiculous metropolitan area. Sure, yeah. And then... San Francisco, I would definitely have to say San Francisco for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of bad things about it, but... Hometown bump, sure. It was definitely a great place. Mm. And then uh, additionally, hmm, it's hard. There there are a lot of really, really good ones for similar reasons out there. And I wish I wish I had been able to travel through Asia as much as you have, but... Yeah, it is, it is difficult because there are so many different sides of it to think about. Right, right. And I've been to Asia twice, but... I haven't traveled as much as you there. And mm. I feel like a lot of my cities are North American and European, um, and European, I guess, and not necessarily Western European, but, but European. And so, yeah. and I, and I, and I definitely want different, you know, different perspectives, but from everything I've heard, Hong Kong, I think would probably be on that list as well as Singapore, but I don't know as much about Singapore as I do Hong Kong. So sure. I'm, I'll probably have to say Hong Kong, but even though I've never been there, but from everything I've read, it seems like amazing incredible place for a lot of reasons it does seem incredible um, i've also not managed to make it there yeah so maybe we'll put that on our like ideal but we're gonna we could be wrong about the city when we talk <laughs> sure, about it yeah list um <laughs> and then additionally you know i might have to go with it's tough um there are two places that come to mind right now that are not major cities but i think are ideal in a lot of ways number one would be um that I, well i've been to jerusalem mm, and okay that city is incredible, you know, putting aside the politics of it as a city, especially the old city. That's kind of what I'm getting at is the old city of Jerusalem. And then okay. the old city of Rabat in Morocco, which I've also been to those for specific reasons, I think are one of my ideal cities, like of what I would want to experience every day is if I were like living in and around a city. Really? Okay. Yeah. And I think that there are some themes between these cities that I share with you, most notably and I think the one that nobody would disagree on this, but the one that is overlooked a lot in terms of what sort of decisions are made about a city and mm-hmm. how it should grow is the effect that development has on street life and what it means to have a public place and have that yeah. public place thrive and be a good place to be and a good place to go and just fun and just enjoyable to walk around. You know, I sure absolutely. I think it was something that I figured out when I was living in Paris that is fun to do is just simply walk around a city and look at stuff. Yeah. With a city with as much stuff as Paris, you know, it's much right, nicer. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I grew up in a in a dense place, but because I grew up in the U.S., I grew up in cities that prioritize cars. So blocks were longer. Sure. And with longer blocks come not necessarily bigger buildings, but a lot more parking garages, a lot more noise, 
even though Paris is loud, it's still more enjoyable, I think, to walk down the street in that city than it is in Los Angeles or in San Francisco or even in parts of New York, I think. Well, and I, I think it's also like California. You grew up in the East Bay, right? And I grew up in Los Angeles. And so much of that has been built in the last 50, 60, 70 years since a lot of kind of not prefab, but a lot of houses were built very much to form, right? There's there's much less uniqueness and creativity in some of the <laughs> smaller scale structures than you would have found sure. in some of the older sure. cities. Yeah, You know, I agree with that. But even small structures are cool and interesting to look at, especially because smaller structures and less dense places than like hyper dense cities like Tokyo or or Paris, they... You know, the, the smaller structures have sometimes more to offer. You know, what they lack in architecture, they make up in like a front yard, green space that has someone's, you know, personal touch on it rather than just like an apartment building. I suppose so. It's less so in a neighborhood like the one I grew up in where there were four houses and all the houses were one of those four. And right. And they all looked exactly the same. Right. And, <laughs> you know, I definitely grew up in a place that looked like Wisteria Lane at times. But there were other parts of the city that didn't and that still don't. And all the houses are different. The architecture is different. Sure. The front gardens are different. You know, those are fun to walk around and look at, even though the blocks are longer. And I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at with all of my picks is that, you know, no matter where you go in any of those parts of those cities, you're going to find interesting stuff to look at. Mm. And, you know, you, you want to walk by it again and again. It can change. And also the design of the streets and the layout of the city sort of induces a desire to walk around. Yeah. You know, coming back from school or work in Paris, I would want to take detours to get home because I'd be like, I've never been down this street. Let's see what's down there. You know, it might just be a couple of coffee shops, a grocery store, a bunch of houses, and I don't know, a mini park or something, but it's still cool to look at. It's still, it is still really cool. interesting. Yeah, very much so. And I think that a lot of places that are super car-centric, like none of us, both of us didn't pick car-centric cities, and I think that's True. because we understand how enjoyable it is to have places that are interesting to walk around and not as interesting to drive around. I mean, there's some places that are interesting to drive around, but if you're the driver, you're always going to pay attention to the road. You're not going to want to look around. Very true. Well, and it's also that, as we're talking about that street life, it's that right. you can live your life on the street. Like, you can do your things walking around. Yeah. Because you're right, when you're driving, even if it's an interesting view, like if you live in Malibu and it's beautiful beaches and hills and whatnot, you are still faced with the fact that you're going point A, getting out, going point B, getting out. Mm -hmm. Like you, mm -hmm. you have no ability to interact with people. Right. And that's just less pleasant than <laughs> interacting yeah. with people. And when we say interacting, I think what we both mean here is not so much just like, hey, I'm going to talk to you on the street. It's just being out in public with other people and yeah seeing people hearing them yeah talk so much of american city life is going from point a to point b and the journey is not enjoyable and or if it is enjoyable it's just a drive and you're mostly concentrating sure. on the road or the radio or whatever you're listening to whereas in walkable places or places that prioritize public transit so much of your your journey is also enjoyable. I mean, even if you do it every single day. Yeah. I take the bus every day to get to work. And then I walk. You know, I walk to the bus. I get on the bus. I take the bus. And then I walk from the bus stop to, the, to work. And even though it's the same route every day, there's still really cool stuff to look at and do things. And I get a little bit of exercise. And it's interesting. And, and you can do things on the bus ride rather than right, driving right. where you're completely focused. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and we should absolutely have an entire episode about the car. And, like, I know we're going sort of down a rabbit hole here, but I think the similarity of the cities that we chose 
and the fact that we both have chosen street life as like a major factor of what makes an ideal city is super important to hone in on because until you go and live in those places i don't think you understand how important and how life-changing it, it is it really does change everything it, it changes, it like changes every how you, thing you do in your day yeah. is different right so so yeah and so that's that's one thing that i think so for the, me let me just reel you back in a little bit here because i'm really yeah. curious about your picks of jerusalem and Rabat. right what in particular like i'm assuming the street life is part of those mm-hmm. picks but like That's what in particular stands out because i've not been to either of those countries i've not been okay. to morocco i've not been to israel yeah i've heard interesting things about them but mm-hmm. i've not heard many people describe them as ideal cities especially ideal cities for daily life like some people might find them fascinating historically or right. find the architecture really interesting but what about them makes daily life seem so alluring in those places so it actually crosses over with a little bit of the reason why I chose Tokyo as well, interestingly enough, going from like super small cities to just this mega region. Yeah, it's quite a contrast. Yeah, but the thing that, that those three cities do that uh, the other two on my list, San Francisco and Paris, don't necessarily do as well. They do it fine, but they don't do it as well, I think, is they are truly like the old city of, of Rabat and the old city of Jerusalem and really Tokyo in a lot of ways. They're mm. truly, truly walkable places Okay. beyond anything that San Francisco or Paris has. So to the point where you don't even need public transit, like you to just the po- walk. Right. I mean, a part of it is, I mean, with Tokyo, absolutely, you need it because it's so big. And with Jerusalem and Rabat, they're much, much smaller. So you, you can sure. easily get around. And, and again, I'm only really talking about the old city of both Rabat and, and Jerusalem. Like the, okay. the newer parts of those cities are good, but you can 100% tell I mean, there are literal walls that divide the two, but like you can, you can, you know, you just, you sure. just step into the newer parts and it's suddenly still walkable in a lot of places for both, but not to the point that the old cities have. And I think okay. it's something that might, that might never come back again because they are so old, especially in Jerusalem is these tiny, narrow, I mean, like, like maybe a width of two humans mm. space. And they're just these, these little tiny roads that just are streets, I should say, not even roads streets that just zigzag in and out in a totally like unplanned fashion and i know that that is probably bad in the long run but the cities make it work basically when you talk about street life and interacting with people it's like that on a hyper level because everything is so so small and the street life that comes with it is incredible so i have just this like vivid memory of of being in Rabat and just there's you know there's main streets and I'd walk down one main street sure. and then turn into a tiny alley and I'd pop out on another main street and that street would be you know a shook of just spices you know and it would just smell okay. incredible and it'd be, yeah, it'd, be sure. it'd be amazing yeah. and and then and you you'd walk down and check out some of those spices and look at things and it would you know it would morph into like some more foods and stuff basically like a, a shook for stuff to eat and then you'd cross through another alley and you'd pop out another main main street and it would be a shook for just like textiles and shoes and and t-shirts and stuff all right and like just the difference in the sounds and um, the smells and the people in each one was just incredible and it, it, it's something i'd never really experienced just you know markets that were just so close together with everything going on and bustling about and then you know you cut down another alley and it's totally quiet and completely different and when you interact with someone there you know you sometimes literally have to step aside for them it was just such an interesting experience. And, you know, you felt very enclosed because the walls were 
pretty high and the streets yeah. were really narrow. But then you would come into a park or you'd turn a corner and there would be sort of a vista like, you know, like Jerusalem has a lot of hills. So mm. you just turn a corner and then suddenly you'd be looking out over parts of the city and it'd be really beautiful. And you felt like you were constantly discovering it or that it was just like full of hidden passageways. And it just felt like an adventure just walking through the cities. And I'm, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not trying to like exotify them. I just, I, I thought that it was just such a cool experience because you had this real just sense of discovery in it. Yeah. And that's how I felt in Tokyo too. And that kind of segues into like what I loved about Tokyo and why I choose it is because even though it's the biggest city, technically biggest city in the world, the biggest mega mm-hmm. region in the world, mm-hmm. there's so many places you can be in Tokyo where you don't feel like you're in a giant city. You know you're in a city, but it's quiet. Okay. A lot of parts of Tokyo are just quiet mm-hmm. because they've managed to build these small neighborhoods with single family homes or like small multifamily homes yeah. that are one on top of another and it's you know it's really close together and packed but the streets are quiet they're nice they're clean and they're full of green space even if it's small and that's why i wanted to ask you about your green space is because and 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 you know robot and jerusalem kind of do this too but i feel like while green space should absolutely serve and and we need parks in cities to like service places to escape the city by i also think that it's really important to have green space pretty much absolutely everywhere i completely agree yeah there should be a department in in every city that their sole job is to greenify a city and to put you know i I imagine crazy things like covering freeway underpasses with ivy and vines or things that you know really (laughs) like sturdy you know really really like i think i think that we there's so much concrete and so many and so much glass and metal that's it looks it can look cool but i really think that we should put like trees and ivy and bushes and whatever you know whatever your city can handle just in little pockets and spaces everywhere and that's what i found in tokyo is you'll find these like tiny shrines just around a corner Hmm. and they're full of greenery and you can step in and it's really quiet and peaceful especially because the neighborhood is peaceful too and you've suddenly sort of stepped out into a different world even though i mean you know the shrine is tiny or the little the park is tiny i mean these are small small places everything's compact yeah yeah but it's still it you're able to you know be in this giant city and be connected to so much yet you have these green spaces and even though you know you can walk into golden gate park in san francisco and not see a single building not hear a single car you feel like you know honestly feel like you've left a city unlike any other park i've been in in any city around the world like golden gate park to me has that complete escape yeah beyond more than any like, other park because central park in new york is quite cut off in parts i guess but the buildings are so tall surrounding yeah, the park that true. i feel like you can always see the buildings in in golden gate park the trees are the buildings they you yeah, know they, really they have the giant eucalyptus trees you. and everything yeah. else yeah yeah and you've completely escaped you've stepped out of san francisco and you are somewhere else and that's incredible but also i've loved the cities that have incorporated small green spaces everywhere no i i agree like when i've dealt with cities like this is one of the things that has gradually become again a mark against paris and a mark <laughs> against new york to a similar degree that a lot of the streets don't have any trees at all like there are right. lots of places that not only have no grass at all no greenery no bushes no anything but there's no trees right. and to have an entire avenue that is completely desolate it does really detract in a noticeable way when i first came here to ireland one of the first things that i noticed was there were just they, they don't call them parks they call them greens right 
and there's just in almost every neighborhood random little things of grass the size of like a soccer field just mm-hmm. grass just chilling there in the middle of houses for no apparent mm-hmm. reason no one really uses it it's just there being green and i found that really strange because i was like why don't people build things on it but at the same time mm-hmm. just having the greenery around is just refreshing and sure. when you go through really concretey places like certain parts of manhattan certain parts of paris and it's mm-hmm. just pavement and buildings it does wear on you to a certain extent. And that's why you need those mm-hmm. escapes mm-hmm. of the other mm-hmm. parks. You need that mm-hmm. less when you have much more greenery around you all of the time. But I still think it is it is valuable to have that sort of escape. Yeah, but I'm yeah, for sure. You. Trees are so important. And, and it, that's one of the things that becomes really noticeable when you have places that start to focus less on cars. Like when you look at places like Amsterdam, you bring in mm-hmm. more trees... Mm-hmm. when you have bike paths and things like a lot of suburban places a lot of cities have removed trees because cars hit them and they don't want to damage cars and things like that the same reason why people have moved away from using metal signs in a lot of places like i think there are states in the u.s that don't use metal signs on highways anymore even though it costs much more to replace them with wood all the time because it would damage cars more if they hit the signs those sorts of measures to allow people to drive faster on roads removing mm-hmm. trees and things like that is not beneficial to the people actually living in that space in a lot of instances. Mm -hmm. And it can Mm -hmm. be pretty damaging. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think we can both agree that more trees is better pretty much always for every city everywhere. Yeah. I would want that. There's very little they do to hurt things. For sure. I mean, they might tear up some roads sometimes, but I don't know, get a different tree. Like there's, I feel (laughs) really, really, I feel like, I feel like you can, I don't know. They just add so much more value that, maybe they slow down a couple cars like there are some places here that just have you know the roots have pushed up through the concrete a bit you just go a little bit slower over them i don't know you just figure it out i'd I'd rather prioritize them but that's just my own personal (laughs) personal opinion maybe that's maybe that's not a good thing maybe there's an arborist out there who will be mad that i said that but um (laughs) but like maybe i don't know but uh, it's fine it it it, I, i really i really feel like every city has sort of codes about maybe not every city but i've noticed that a lot of cities have codes about you know, which trees you can put in where and, and what goes with the aesthetic of the city, whatever that means. But I feel like they should just prioritize whichever trees aren't, you know, they're going to be sturdy enough to stand up to city life and also go well. I don't yeah, know. like, I matter. mean, different places need more shade or they need trees yeah. that yeah. are not as tall because they are hitting things. Yeah. Like, whatever they need. Some trees grow right. really wide and the streets aren't right. very wide. And so it's not necessarily... Right. There's right. a lot of different trees out there. You can pick what works in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. They provide so much value. So for me, it's it's street life. It's also the the ability to, uh, well, I, I guess I've only really kind of talked about street life and how it differs in, you know, it differs from, from Paris to Jerusalem to Tokyo, because there are just so many good things about it. And, and it's, it's super important. But, you know, I'm going to go with you on transportation as well um, and green space. I think the transport's just absolutely huge. And like we've talked about, prioritizing pedestrians rather than cars and prioritizing public transit over cars is is huge to increasing like the green space in the city to increasing the sociability of a city also noise one of the things i I just said i loved about tokyo was how quiet a lot of it was and that's a huge thing like an ideal city for me is one where you could have these main busy bustling streets but you turn down another road and suddenly it's all quiet and it's like residential and it's nice and also something that i loved about all of these cities too is sort of the mixed uses of 
their neighborhoods. So like mm. there would be a market or a spice shop or I don't know, a grocery store just down the road. Yeah. It's not all concentrated into like car parks or malls. It's not just divided. You don't have to walk 30 minutes from your house to get to any shop. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that's huge when it comes to how you enjoy a city. Like think about how often you go grocery shopping. If you live in a place that's car dependent, you probably go like once, maybe twice a week and you buy a whole bunch of groceries at once and then True. you just stock your, your refrigerator full of them and that's it. But like when I was living in Paris, I just go after work, you know, I just come up yeah. from the Metro and I would walk into the grocery store and I'd, you know, I'd go pretty much every day, every other day. And I'd buy what I wanted for that night. And like, it took maybe 15 minutes because there were three grocery stores within a block radius of me. And each of them offered different things at different prices and at different times would be busy and you'd see different people. And like, what I find interesting is like grocery stores, especially, and it's not just grocery stores. It's, it's, it's a, it's sort of a, a marketing tactic for a lot of places that sell things to seem sort of like your neighborhood shop, right? Or yeah, like, hey, yes. we're this homey place where you get to know our people and our people are, are happy and they want to serve you and they're friendly and all that. Yeah, they're more personable um, and local. Right. But you like, you got to drive like 30 minutes to get to it. And then you stand in these huge lines and you, you know, you, you rarely see the same person twice. But in neighborhood grocery stores where they're small and you can just walk up to it, it really does have that feel, even if it's a big chain. Mm. And when it's not a big chain, when it's a small little market, that is it. Like that's 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 the ideal they're going for. But that ideal market came from a, a city and a lifestyle where people would actually walk to the market to buy their groceries and they would meet the person who owned it and then they would become friends with that person and they would know the butcher, they would know the baker. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, this, it's this world that marketers have tried to idealize, but it came from a place before cars. It came from a place that had more street life. It came from a place, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I'm not sure that I buy into all of that. I know it has become idealized having your local butcher, baker, or grocer, or what have you. Yeah. That's not something that I've ever particularly cared about or thought was valuable. I th think it's really nice and convenient to be able to go to Costco and get everything you want. For sure. I guess I'm just pointing out the irony of it. That, that is like, ironic. Absolutely right. Yeah. Right. And also the irony of it and the inability to see that if you want that life and you want it truly, not just like a marketing gimmick, like you got to live in a place where the environment induces that and or creates that, I should say. And no one wants to make that decision. And I think that what so much of this rests upon and one of the fundamental arguments that is being have and being had, yeah, being had in <laughs> cities around the world now is where the equilibrium should lie between public space and private space. Because you do see that the places that really emphasize having a lot of private space and having a lot of privacy, mm. those are places that we would rate less highly. Wait, what do you, what do you mean? So Los Angeles is a glorious example of this. Malibu <laughs> even more so. Where people live up on a hill, down a little road, they have all of this space to themselves, they have their own, like for, for the super wealthy people, they have their own pool. Like it's very common in California to have your own pool. You go out to places like Phoenix, Arizona, everyone has a pool, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you have a private pool and everyone has a private pool, that takes up mm -hmm. a huge amount of space. That's a huge amount of private space. You wouldn't need nearly as many pools if they were public pools that you could utilize mm -hmm. in the community, right? You see this with a lot of things. The more yard each person needs, the, more, the larger backyard each person has, the less space you have for parks out in front. The more space that you use, like I think of roads very much as private space because everyone is inside of their cars. So that is, right. while that may be technically 
public space, it's public land or what have you. No one is operating in a public sphere when they're in their car. And so the further you go down the path of having a lot of privacy and a lot of private space for individuals, the further you move away from having good public spaces. And you will see in a lot of places, and this is a key that I think people don't like as individuals. Like I think most people are like, no, I want a bigger house. No, I want a bigger backyard. No, I want to have a private jacuzzi. But at the same time, the best cities are the cities that are highly constrained on those things because of prices and because of density. You see places like New York where people are forced into the streets. Like when we lived in Paris, we were forced into the streets because our apartments were tiny. When no one has an apartment big enough to host their friends, you go out. (laughs) That's how that works. Right. It's unavoidable. But I think we should have a tiny caveat here. Well, it's not really tiny, but it it is a caveat in that we're not saying that private space in general is bad no and there should be room in cities for you if you are able to afford a place that can have a jacuzzi you could have it except instead of it being like in your backyard on the first floor it would be on a balcony overlooking like like in an apartment building or something basically like where the building that you live in is so compact that you're able to have the amenities that you want without it affecting the daily life around you well, I, like, yeah, and I think I think right. I like everyone else really likes to have private things in private space. Like, for I would sure, love to have a home gym and, <laughs> for sure and everything. You know what I mean? And that that's the fundamental problem that everyone wants that and everyone wants more of that. And that's why people move a, out to suburbs right, because you right. want that and you want more of that. But right. it just comes to this point of how much are you willing to sacrifice in your public spaces in order to get that? Right. Like it's a, it's a simple causal relationship when people are pushed toward not being able to economically afford having that private space, then they are pushed into maintaining and supporting public spaces and making them so that they're great. Like if you look at a place where no one needs to go out of their backyard because their backyards are big and nice, the parks are going to be empty and they're going to be desolate and they're not going to be very safe. When you go to a place where they're bustling and everyone's walking through them constantly, they're going to be great places to spend time and have a picnic. Right, right, That's just, that's how it works. Right. I'm really glad you brought that up because that's a, that's a super important point about street life in general is it's not that it's also just in a really enjoyable place to be. It's also a safer street. Like the, yes. the streets that I find the scariest and the, the worst ones to walk down are the ones with no people on it. You know, yeah, it doesn't absolutely. matter what neighborhood it's in. If there's nobody around, it's definitely more unnerving. And I feel much less safe than if I were in a place that was quote unquote a bad neighborhood, but had lots of people way better. It's just, it's, it's a thousand times better. And I think, you know, you really hit the nail on the head with that. Like, it's not that we are advocating for no backyards ever. Um, it's just that when I, I think the, the externality of building suburbs and not building denser places with good street life and good walkability is that you create places that are just not good to, to be, they're not as enjoyable to be in. They're less safe. There's just all of these issues with it. Yeah. And finding that balance between having like a good space for you to be in that if you if you want a jacuzzi you can get a jacuzzi if you want like a little backyard you can have a little backyard like i think that we haven't imagined a city that can have all of that for everyday people i'm not just talking about like like just the rich and the famous that can afford these like you know crazy amazing apartment buildings with all of this space you know condos or whatever the average person should be able to have these good affordable quality spaces that feel good and feel private but that you can then step out and be in a place that's really enjoyable that you don't need your car to get around in that has like a good social space that has green space well and i think what you 
said just a second ago is really the, the key, right? They need to right. have access to these things. Right. You don't actually need to own it yourself. Right. Exactly. But I, I think beyond even any thought of what we might advocate, like that's beside the point. It's, it's kind of like if you eat more food, you put on weight. It's just a causal relationship. It doesn't <laughs> matter what I advocate. Like it doesn't matter if I like backyards or if I like better public spaces. We happen to have rated certain cities highly because we like those cities. But if you want a city to function like the cities that we rank highly, you can't have tons and tons of private space. Right. Like that's just, that's right. just it's, they're mutually exclusive. They're not things that can right. exist right. at the same time. And, and so... Yeah. And there's a space in the world. And so for... whatever you like, you, they're going to be different. And I think it's important for people to think about that sort of thing. Because with a lot of these things, like free parking like public space, <laughs> like wanting to eat chocolate every day, mm-hmm. they will have impacts. You might really mm-hmm. enjoy doing them, and they might be a lot mm-hmm. of fun, but there mm-hmm. are downsides. And understanding what the downsides are is important because when people get angry, when they say, well, I can't afford an apartment that has like a pool or something, I can't afford to buy a house that has a pool because house mm-hmm. prices have gone up or whatever, or this city doesn't have enough space. Well, think about the things that you get from that. Like there is something that you're giving up. Like one of my best friends back in Los Angeles has talked about never ever wanting to move out of Los Angeles because he would never want to live in a place where it was terrible to have a car. Like he loves having a car. He loves driving around. Well, he can really enjoy that, but he doesn't fully grasp what he's giving up by owning that and by living that way. And I think it's important to understand what you're giving up. You can make whatever decision you want, but understand what you're giving up. Yeah. So what you just said, I, I totally agree with. But what I think is also really important to remember is that your friend who only wants to drive, if you know, if, if that's the life that he wants to choose, it's totally fine. Except that when you live in a place with lots and lots of people, like there's, I, I don't know the exact threshold number where this crosses, but when you live in a place with lots of people, when you live in a big city, even a medium-sized city, and you prioritize that private space of like a car mm. and what a car brings and what large blocks bring and what every single house having a giant backyard and a white picket fence and a pool and a garage and all that. When you prioritize that sort of living in a place with lots and lots of people, you create these externalities that end up hurting everyone in the long run, even the people who choose not to have that life. If I were to live in a place where I don't have a car and I'm in a city and I take public transit everywhere, I'm still subsidizing the drivers, even though I don't use it. And by doing so, I'm subsidizing their greenhouse gas emissions. I'm subsidizing the longer blocks, which reduce the amount of like social life in the city. You see what I'm saying? Like, I understand what you're saying. I've, just just to be clear, you're talking about, a lot of people would probably think that public transit is subsidized. What he's talking about is roads are built by the government for free. Gas is subsidized. There are a lot well, of subsidies that well, go to drivers. It's not, for, it's not for free, but yeah. At no cost to the driver specific directly (laughs) no direct cost to the driver like i think what you're talking about is there are a lot of subsidies for people that own cars and drive so while public transit is subsidized as well it is not subsidized nearly to the degree that cars are right like that's why you're saying it's subsidized because a lot of people would not necessarily see because the subsidies are hidden they don't a lot of people aren't aware of the fact that cars are being subsidized in the way they are right i mean cars are subsidized streets are subsidized gas is subsidized like you know we don't pay by I mean, I know, I know it's expensive. I just wanted to be clear because you said it. You know, I'm subsidizing it, even though like people might not grasp what you're talking about. Right, right, right. But continue. Right, right. You're right. I, There's all I, sorts I of externalities. I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess that's that's what I'm getting at is just that I think you and I have chosen these cities because I mean, really, the one thing that they all share is that they don't prioritize their cars, or if they do, True. it's to a much smaller extent than a lot of other cities 
American or not, do. And even like the suburbs of Paris or the suburbs of London or whatever the suburbs of Tokyo that do prioritize cars, you know, you can tell when you get to them. Yeah. They don't have like even the suburbs of Paris that I've been to that prioritize cars but do not prioritize them to the same amount that American suburbs do. Sure. You know, there's still that lack of social life, I think, in the streets. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's on a degree that is even... It's not pushed as far as it is in the States. Right, yeah. right, exactly. That, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You can just tell immediately. And I think that's kind of what we're getting at here. But let me ask you... And there just has to be a balance. Like, we're not tr- I'm not trying to say that there shouldn't be any cars, but these cities are ideal to me because they have all this great stuff in yeah. them. And also, these cities have tons of problems, too. Right, well, before we get into whatever the problems might be, I, this is one of the things that I struggled with coming to this conversation because we wanted to talk about ideal cities and what makes up an right. ideal city. And you have talked right. before with me about kind of finding fundamental components that are necessary to build right. a successful, valuable, productive city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I'm very torn about because so much of my view is this is personal choice. And you're talking about the externalities of prioritizing private space and the externalities of having suburbs and car-focused city and things like that. And I absolutely agree with you. Right. But at the same time, there are many, many people that want that, that prefer that, that like right. that. And I don't right. think that that necessarily makes a bad city. It makes a different city. And so I guess what I struggle with with this is they're not places that I like. They're not places that I think are as good for life. But I think there are lots of people that like them and having cities that are nice like that is good. And having cities that are nice and walkable is good. And having it so that people can actually sort themselves and move to places that accommodate the things they want is valuable. I think where we run into a lot of problems and where I struggle is these hybrid places that want to have walkable neighborhoods or want to have walkable corridors and yet are essentially a suburb. And then it's like, you can't, you can't hybridize this. You can't have both. Going to one extreme or going to the other extreme, I think, works well in a lot of these situations. Sitting and straddling the middle, I think, is potentially problematic in a lot of ways. Like what you're talking about with those suburbs of Paris, where if those were really country roads where everyone had tons of space and they had huge backyards and everything was self-contained within their house, I think that would be fine. But what we have with suburbs is problematic because you have high prices. Like if you go to look at Los Angeles, you go to look at the suburbs of San Francisco, you look at the suburbs of Paris, they're all pricey. None of them are cheap. You don't have a lot of space for cheap and yet you kill the public spaces. So when you have this straddling the middle, it's difficult to get Mm. the best of any world. Like you kind of make everything worse. Well, okay. I see what you're saying, except I feel like those suburbs, I don't feel like they're, they're straddling the middle. I feel like they're still prioritizing cars. So for example, like, you know, when you leave the city center of of Amsterdam, you know, that still continues to have a street and next to the street is like a road for a tram and next to the road for the tram is a bike path and next to the bike path is the sidewalk, right? So you have four different ways of getting around and you're not in the city center, so it's not as dense as it could be, Mm. but you're still able to, I mean, you're still able to transport yourself in ways that aren't just a car and, and in so doing, you create places you know that still engender better better social life but that also has to come with mixed use buildings and housing that's relatively close together along with the parks that we're talking sure. about do you see, you see what i'm saying like, I, I do like, but for you like how do you handle yeah. the kind of santa monica beverly hills type thing where it's a nice place right. it's a nice place for everybody to live everybody enjoys living in these places they're not mm-hmm. particularly dense they're very car centric mm-hmm. would you 
foust upon them or foist upon them? Would you foist upon <laughs> them your hyper urban walking life? From yeah, a practical yeah. sense, how do you deal with yeah. what you think of as an idealized city and right. what everyone actually pursues in reality? Well, it's not so much that I would force people to do okay. it. Most, if not all, decisions really need to happen on the local level. They're the best people to decide, you know, what's good for their for their community, and they make up their community, so they they should have that power and they should have the, they should have those decisions. And I'm with you in that if you want to live in a place that's car centric, go live in a place that's car centric. That's fine. Like I'm not going to I wouldn't I wouldn't ever say that, you know, you shouldn't be able to do that. But I think the issue is that in, in a lot of places around the world, there's one specific way of living and moving around. And that is what the car is created, sure. which are essentially suburbs with your housing and your shopping and your restaurants and everything else are separated. Yeah. Interspersed with parks and all the roads are freeways to get from city to city is just just freeways. And there's no there's like a downtown maybe, but it's basically car centric and you go in to get your stuff and then you leave. Or whatever going for work or whatever it is, yeah. Right, right, ex exactly, and that's that's kind of the majority of of the world at this point. You know, the older cities around the world don't have this because they weren't built that way. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is, like, to answer your question, is that I just I see a lack of imagination, sure, for how we could actually restructure a city in a better way. And I think that a lot of people don't understand what prioritizing cars does and how their lives could be improved in so many ways yes, i think this is the key by not prioritizing cars and because we've been so set in this idea like when you grow up in in this space and you think that this is the only way it can be and the only way it will be and any sort of development that impacts my ability to park my ability to get around in my car that's a bad development yeah, it's built on their expectations so much it's not so much that i would <laughs> come in and force them to change their ways but i think that if there's a decision between widening a road and putting in, you know, a bus lane, like a bus rapid transit lane or something, mm. at this point in those areas, it should go to bus rapid transit. I might even say put roads on road diets, like put more buses in, um, prioritize biking. Right. Like basically, it's an basically in incremental. Like, I'm not. I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do away with your cars. And in fact, I think that cities without cars, especially bigger cities, you know, I, I would. Cars are fundamental to cities. I mean, there aren't really are any necessary. bigger cities that don't have cars. You're right. You're right. I, I was just saying that, you know, I don't want people to think that I'm saying we should do away with cars completely. You're coming for their cars? Coming for their keys? I am coming for, I'm coming for car-centric cities, essentially. I'm not coming for cars. I think that cars are, are incredibly useful. And, you know, I would never want to move houses without a car. If I were disabled, I would, it's, it's useful and it's necessary for a lot of people to get around who can't take public transit or are afraid to take public transit. And we need to ship goods and and things around you know there's sure just but to go back to the key of what you just said yeah. like i don't yeah. think people are aware of the ramifications that they create and this is i think a key for everything in society like i think people's awareness is important right. and a lot of people are not right. very aware of a lot of aspects of society that they impact with their decision making and that impact them mm -hmm. thinking around cars in terms of how much time do you use in transit versus how much time would you use in a different system? How mm -hmm. much mm -hmm. space does it take? How does it impact your health? How does it impact you financially? Trying to actually think through those things is mm -hmm. really valuable because you're right. A lot of people right. are completely unaware about how much money they could save, how much more productive they could be, how much healthier they could be, how much easier it could be to get around. Like driving around with traffic 
is an extremely frustrating and stressful process when you have to commute mm-hmm. in that sort of environment. Walking mm-hmm. to work is nothing if not relaxing. So <laughs> it, it's, it's quite a comparison. And mm-hmm. so I think to make progress in the direction that you're talking about, that is what is necessary. I agree with you from a policy perspective, like getting into it in terms of we should lean toward bus rapid transit and things like that. I don't disagree with that. But for your average individual, they're not going to think about that. And they're not going to understand that at a deep level. They're not going to understand why yeah. that is beneficial. And yeah. for people that grew yeah. up with cars and grew up with the bus being the poor person option, that mm-hmm. is not going to be something that they're going to readily emotionally grapple with. I think for me, one of the things that makes this so poignant is that I have not met anyone who went to live in a European city from California who was not shocked and in love with their ability to get around and their ability to live in those cities. And it's just because, you know, it it is shocking to move from that direction. And the fact that I haven't met anyone who was angry and upset that there was a metro and a lot of buses. Like, no one was upset about that. And no one was angry, oh, I didn't have to drive everywhere. And so that is quite telling to me that if you actually made the change for everyone and, like, if uh-huh. you were emperor of the world and you decided we're shifting all the cities into more of a Manhattan-style super dense, I mean, obviously, Manhattan's still pretty car-centric, but, like, much denser, much more walkable. Right. If you shifted everything, I don't think there would be very many people that would be really, really upset 10 years on. Uh-huh. But not every city is is going to be Manhattan. But do you think they should be? No, no, not every city should be Manhattan. And not every city can be Manhattan. There's like 8 million people in New York. Well, but a smaller version of that. Smaller in the sense that it should be as walkable as Manhattan or Paris, but it doesn't have to have the giant skyscrapers. Everything ideally should be more compact in order to engender this sort of life that we're talking about. And I think that the ideal cities that we've chosen are places that do that well. That sort of model is not dispersed to smaller cities. What I would love to see is medium-sized, even small-sized cities that aren't car-centric because the smaller you get, the more space you have. You know, with the invention of the car, it allowed people to like, you know, move around farther distances and therefore be able to justify building bigger places farther and farther away. And I'm saying that a better life, honestly, I think a better life, I mean, it's not, I don't think everyone needs to live this way, but I think a better life for most people would be one that compacted that into a sort of a smaller footprint mm. and built up a tiny bit. And, I'm, and when I say a tiny bit, I mean like two to three stories, four sure. or five stories max for a city. And then if you think about it, like well, but do you in think... smaller cities, you can still have your backyard and you can still have your jacuzzi or whatever. You can still have that quiet semi-country life that the suburbs tries to be without being the suburbs you just have to build up and you have to deprioritize the car and you have to prioritize like walking and biking and having mixed-use housing and just take everything that big amazing cities like tokyo and amsterdam and paris and london have and bring that to a smaller scale and you can still enjoy your life with your car but you don't have to have it in this way that kills social life, that increases greenhouse gas emissions, that increases traffic, and just adds to this really honestly bad suburban sprawl that we've created throughout the world. But do you think think for smaller cities, like could you have a scaled down, okay, don't take Manhattan with, you know, 50-story buildings, but a scaled down hyper-dense city like that? Like, yeah, yeah, would you you want that? Would you like that? Would you, do you think that that's how all cities should be built? 
I think the majority of cities should be built that way. And for the majority of human history, they were built that way. Right, I know. But I don't think that many people have thought about that as an actual option. And that's kind of what I'm getting at, is that we haven't imagined a world that is like that, except with all the trappings of modern day comfort and pleasure. Mm. You know, architecture has gotten way better and much more creative. And we could have these like really cool, innovative, interesting places where you could get around in cool ways. And, you know, when you're in smaller areas, you can incorporate more into it. You have more freedom because there's fewer people. So you could really individualize your cities you know, or your, your towns and villages even, you know, without being these massive cookie cutter developments that all look exactly the same. Sure. And yeah. you have to sort of force your own culture and and force your own aesthetics. And really, it gives you a sense of place and a sense of pride in where you live. And I feel like we could absolutely do that on a smaller scale, like take the amazing, cool things about big cities and move them to smaller cities and sort of reject all the bad stuff about big cities. I like this a lot. Before we wrap this up, I want to ask you, because we're talking about ideal cities. And I know we've gotten on a bit of a rant about some negative things. But But they're important. No, absolutely, they're important. But let's imagine for a moment... A 10,000-person city, or let's say 50,000, a little bit bigger. In your mind, an ideal version of that, like what do you have? What don't you have? What do you eliminate? What do you include? Mm. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm going to imagine a 50,000-person city and how it would be built today, which is basically one, maybe two downtown strips. Yeah. Downtown, Like streets, short street stretches. yeah, Yeah. That are pretty dense in terms of... Grocery stores, movie theaters. Got a bunch of shops along it, yeah. Restaurants, shops, like all of that, right? You have maybe one or two of those throughout the city. Then you have maybe like a mall or two, right? That are basically just giant chain stores. Yeah, probably on the outskirts of it somewhere. Right, usually, yeah. And that and that it's, you know, connected to a major freeway. Maybe there's like an interstate that runs through it. Or like a, sorry, a state road that runs through it. The majority of the houses are single family ranch style homes. Probably pretty spread out from the center, yeah. Right, right, exactly. You know, relatively cookie cutter, although now, luckily, thankfully, architecture from suburbs are moving away from it. But it's kind of like what you were saying earlier, where there's like four or five different models, and then they just intersperse those every few house. House, yeah, every few houses. Every few Um, houses. That's probably it. Every few houses. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) And then, so yeah, so that's kind of like what it is now. I think what I would do away with is, first off, I would build housing above the shops. Okay. On the main thoroughfares. Like I would make the densest part of the city right sure. there. And by building housing, I mean like, I don't know, three, four stories. You'd have your, you know, your grocery store at the bottom and then maybe you'd have like three or four stories up. And that it also build smaller apartment style complexes or bungalow style complexes spreading out from that. So okay. I would start basically the, the, the center in the beginning of the city would be there. And then you would still have single family homes, but they would be more vertical. Most of them would have stairs and definitely interspersed for those who can't go upstairs with ranch style homes and also for people that don't necessarily want stairs, but it wouldn't just be these like cookie cutter style houses. And also the other thing that I wouldn't do, this is a huge change. One of the best ways to deprioritize cars and to make your cities better and more walkable in general is to take garages from the front of a house and put it all the way in the back Mm. and also have alleyways. Yeah, alleyways are important for that. Have you ever been to, you know, the best example I can think of is Mission Bay in San Diego. Oh, Mission Bay. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. That neighborhood. And there's other parts in LA that do this. Like Southern California the block I grew up on has better. alleys. Yeah. Right, great, great. Yes. So SoCal does it a lot better than Northern California does. But basically, you have these houses that are close together, and then you put the garage in the back, and you put the dumpsters and everything oh, else in the, in the back, back in yeah. these alleys. All of it goes in the back. And what that does is it creates a cool alley that you can drive or walk down, um, that's a little bit off the beaten path, but still allows you to have a car while the front of the house can be 
dominated by things that actually engender human interaction, like the thing that has gone away from the majority of houses, but people ironically always search for and love when they when they are looking for houses, which is the porch. Mm. Especially like wraparound yeah. porches. People no, I love porches. Love that stuff, porches right? is, the porch right? is one of the things that I wanted on a house as long as I've been alive, yeah. Porches are only in places where you deprioritize cars. And that's because the front of your house is not just an entrance for your car to go in. It's not it, like literally if you look at a house, the were to take mathematically like break down the surface area of the front of the house, you would find probably over 50% of it is devoted to a car. That's crazy. Yeah, that's true. And then you have tiny little windows and you have a tiny little door and you have this giant garage. And for the majority of my life, we would leave the garage open because, you know, that's how people would come in and out of the house and it would air out the house and all this cool stuff. But like we wouldn't have it shouldn't be the garage. It should be. It should be a, a porch, it should be windows, it should be something else. Yeah, the house I grew up with had a garage in the back and on the alley. And the other nice right. thing that you, you didn't mention, but probably you just assumed, by putting in an alley, you get rid of driveways. And right. by getting right. rid of driveways, exactly. it makes sidewalks not just safer, but more pleasant. Like you're not going up and right. down all the time. You're not going right. to get hit by right. a car pulling out. Um, there right. are advantages. Exactly. Sure. And so those sorts of changes where, you know, I still want this town to have cars, but by densifying the city a bit densifying, by changing the like architecture it. yeah by densifying the city by by changing the architecture yeah. and then also i'd prioritize the city budget to buses for bus rapid mm -hmm. transit so basically you know if you wanted to go from one side of the city to the other like let's say between the two sort of downtown areas yeah. there could be one or two lanes for buses that would never compete with cars you would never have to deal with a bus competing with a car. You would just go from point A to point B and the buses would only have to ever stop at the stops. And buses, I, I say a bus as opposed to like a light rail because I think in a 50,000 person city, it might not make it's sense. It's pretty small. It's pretty expensive. It's pretty small, pretty expensive. Buses are the cheapest, easiest form of public transit that you can put in, especially because they don't require rails. So if you need to, you can just change up the bus route, right? If, if more people show up in one place, the city grows, then, what have you. Yeah. then the city grows, and you just change the buses. So, yeah. so I'd start with that. I'd prioritize good start. bikes and, and walking and all that. And also, you know, <laughs> make sure that you pave the roads really well too. Yeah. And still absolutely have roads with cars and things and still have these like quiet neighborhoods with parks but basically, when you put the cars behind the houses, you can create space in front of the houses for walkways, for greens, like you have in, in Ireland. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that would create space for people to go out and meet. And you could put like benches in there, or you could put a gazebo, or you could, you know, you could do all these sorts of things yeah. so people would be able to, to be in these, in these spaces. Sure. And one of the other things that I would also change is grocery stores, probably like small amounts of shops, hardware stores, you know, things that people need would not only be downtown, even restaurants as well, would not only be downtown, there would also be like, there would be apartment buildings interspersed everywhere throughout the city. And at the okay. bottom of those apartment buildings, you would have grocery stores, hardware stores, you'd have shops, you'd have restaurants, you'd have little things. And those would be like a neighborhood restaurant, right? Or it'd be like a neighborhood grocery store. Mm. And it would anchor sort of the surrounding houses. So the people in those houses wouldn't have to go all the way to one of the two main downtown districts to yeah. like get whatever they needed. They could go to you just walk to the corner places yeah. right right exactly and that is very valuable yeah and what that would also do is it would mean people would take fewer trips with their cars right because if you didn't have to drive to the grocery store you could just walk reduces traffic absolutely it would reduce traffic you have more random run-ins with people you actually know yeah. right right exactly you would get to know the person in the shop better and there's just so much better life that comes with it and i feel like there's so much separation in suburbs between housing, workplaces, shops, and things. And really, we should integrate it all because you shouldn't have to travel far to get to any That of it. would be a pretty easy first step to 
improving a lot of things. Like I would definitely separate industrial use from housing. Certain you know, kinds of industrial use, else. I would agree. But. Exactly. But I don't know if, if someone wanted to open a business in the middle of a res- residential area, like a business like a... Office supply store. Yeah, like an office supply store or a, I don't know, like a... Dentist place. I don't know. Yeah, b- a dentist place. Yeah, a dentist. Like, basically, if you wanted to open your business in a place that was kind of a little bit far from a downtown, you know, that's fine too. You know, the land might be a little bit cheaper and by you going in there, you know, you uh, put up an office and then suddenly, you know, the people there need to eat at lunch. So maybe there's a restaurant that goes in next door. Yeah. And that's like right down the street from a bunch of different neighborhoods. A lot of zoning restricting that sort of thing is highly destructive. I completely agree. And it obscures and alters property markets in an unhelpful way, making certain high demand uses really expensive Mm -hmm. and making certain low Mm -hmm. demand uses really cheap Mm -hmm. benefits. No one Mm -hmm. really. I think I would go further down than what you are describing in terms of what I would think of as an ideal city that I would want to live in with 50,000 people. Okay. Okay. So I think I wouldn't have much more than those downtown districts. Okay. I think you're right. Five or six stories is all you would really need. That's like max. I'm not even saying like that's for the majority of them. That would just be max. Yeah, sure, sure. You know? But I think even if you max it at six stories, if you got rid of everyone's personal yards, I think in an ideal uh-huh. city for me, people would live in apartments and there would be no yards. And you would take that yard space and concentrate it in several large parks. Mm. I think that for me, that okay. would be ideal. I disagree with that one. I think it's possible to have yards. Not for every single person, but I think there's definitely a lot. I think it's possible. I think it's counterproductive and not particularly useful. Now, that's not to say that on the top of an apartment building, you might not have a garden of some sort or something like that. Or have green spaces Uh between apartment buildings. Like if you have two six-story apartment buildings, Uh have Uh a nice Uh green area in between them Uh with some benches and trees and whatnot. Like there is this one particular neighborhood in Manhattan, which I absolutely love. And what they essentially have is like eight-story apartment buildings. They have a bunch of them scattered over this whole ground, and there's just walking areas and greenery and benches and fountains in between them. And there's no cars. It's leafy. It's green. Everyone has this wonderful public space they can use, and no one has a personal private yard. Uh That gives you a very nice environment and a much greater density without degrading your life in any significant way. Uh And so I think if we're looking at the same example that you had, I'm with you in terms of getting rid of things like driveways, getting rid of everything like that. But I think if you bring it to that level of density, you don't need something like bus rapid transit. You don't need very much in terms of public transit at all because with a city with 50,000 people, you should be able to have sufficient density that people don't really need much more than walking. That's not to say I would outlaw cars or something like that, but Mm -hmm. you shouldn't need very many cars and I wouldn't think that you would need to be able to drive on most streets. Most streets, I would probably move toward having walking streets. Because when you get to a level of density that I would want, you can walk most places. And when you can walk most places, mm-hmm. you choose to walk most places. And that's just a nicer way right. to live in my experience. And so you're absolutely right about mixed use in terms of shops, mixed use in terms of offices and things like that, mixing all of that together and indeed placing housing above shops. Like one of the things that broke my brain when I was in Paris was the fact that every building had shops on the bottom floor pretty much and stories and stories of apartments above it. And that's not something that you have back home. In Los Angeles, you have strip malls that are just a strip mall. Mm -hmm. And then you have a neighborhood Mm -hmm. down the road, which has actual houses. Mm -hmm. 
putting that together makes absolute perfect sense. And it's better for everyone, mm-hmm. especially like if you had a two-story place where the second story was apartments and the first story was shops, generally those things are not being used at the same time. There's no infringement of people's privacy. They're separate things. You don't have to live with a whole bunch of other people. It's, it's a very nice experience in a lot of ways. There's a lot of benefits and very few downsides, I would say. So yeah, I think I would focus a lot on building up public space, having a lot of public space, having things be very close, very dense, and having things be mixed up in such a way that you don't have to go to the other side of town for anything. Because like, if there's three hardware stores, they're spread out. They're not all on the same street, that sort of thing. So I know I didn't add very much to what your description was, but <laughs> I, I think I would go even further down the line because I don't think in 50 years, cities will need cars. I don't think cars will be necessary. Or at least I don't think they will be necessary in nearly the quantity that they are. Like, especially as you walk down toward self-driving cars, as as you walk down towards things like that, owning cars and storing cars on your property makes less and less sense. And you already see it in a lot of well-built, dense cities that it's degrading to life. It's expensive and distracting to have to maintain and make sure your car is safe and find parking and all of that. Uh If you had enough money to be able to use taxis whenever you wanted to use taxis or use Ubers whenever you wanted to use an Uber, that would be better. I don't think there are very many people whose lives would be worse if they could just use a taxi all the time and it would just show up wherever they wanted as opposed to using a car. If that was a cheaper way to live life, that would be much better than owning a car. I mean, yeah, that's kind of where Uber, well, ride sharing and things like Zipcar, you know, for smaller distances, even like bike rental places. Yeah, bike sharing and city bikes bike, and bike sharing like Sco- scooter sharing yeah, like yeah, yeah. now that's a thing that's a weird um, thing i remember when no. i was in beijing because they're really pioneering right. with a lot of the bike sharing stuff there was this right. one company that came out with these electric scooters that essentially i know this is off topic but just as a little last thing before we wrap up th- so beijing has these incredible things that if people haven't found them they've actually spread to a number of european cities as well and all over china but mm-hmm. they have these bikes where essentially with an app they have these smart locks where you can scan a qr code it'll unlock you can get on and then you can ride it and leave it wherever you want yeah and just yeah they have down. that here did they they have yeah, that they in have san that francisco here. now they have that in the bay yeah that's um, awesome they have that in, in a couple uh, in a couple places in the bay yeah exactly it's awesome right um, it's... you can just leave it and they just now have it for scooters too yeah, th- there is one company that does that with scooters that I had seen in Beijing before I'd left Beijing. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw them mm-hmm. for the first time outside of China when I went to Milan a few months ago. And it was so exciting. They have the Ofo and Mobike are the two really big ones. And it completely changes everything because instead of needing to lock your bike into a dock, you can just leave it wherever. And you can look on the app and find through GPS where all the bikes near you are. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it blew my mind when I first stumbled upon it because it was so much better than what had come before it. Yeah, it's really cool. And I've seen it's being used a lot by a lot of people. It's also being used a lot by teenagers, oh, yeah. um, which is amazing because it's giving them freedom and things to do and, and places to go instead of just like sitting at home and causing trouble and every day. Really you know cheap. what I mean? And it's super cheap. It's like a dollar or something. Yeah. It's just, it's amazing. I, I love it. So, so basically an ideal city is a place that can not only, you, you can like offer that thing you know, that, that service mm. in cities. But if you don't have the design of the city and the infrastructure built in the city already to facilitate that, no one's going to take it. You know what I mean? And the benefits True. of it are just going to be lost and it'll be a waste of money. So, like, But the nice things about those bikes in particular, just to go back to them, like mm-hmm. Ovo and Mobike, is yeah. they can be scaled in a way, they can be scaled down, I mean, in a way that a lot of things cannot be because a lot of things require a lot of infrastructure. Like with Mobike, 
Right. You need a certain number of bikes per square mile or what have you. But if you had a certain level of density, even if it was a very small area, they could just bring in 500 bikes for this area, for this small city, as opposed to the mm -hmm. 10,000 they might have in Manhattan or something. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so it's not like a place with bike rentals where there are docks where you have to build a certain number of docks and then it's really expensive to build all of these docks and what, what have you. Like if it doesn't work and nobody starts using it in this town, just take the bikes away <laughs> and then it costs nothing. Mm -hmm. Like it only costs you what mm -hmm. it costs to bring in the bikes and then to take them away. And mm -hmm. re reducing the expense of that sort of investment and testing things, I, I just, yeah, it's exciting to me. But yeah, I think long-term we're not really going to need cars and we're not going to have private car ownership. And I think imagining the levels of density that we can achieve I mean, I didn't even talk about like if you fully went car free and you were able to utilize the space currently used in terms of parking and in terms of like driveways and roads, if you could use that space for other purposes, like when I talked about getting rid of yards and making them into parks, you wouldn't even have to get rid of yards and make them into parks. You could just have the space used for roads be parks and that would make up enough park area that you wouldn't have to touch anybody's yards. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I would do. Yeah. That's what I would do. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think we, I think we've actually only barely scratched surface about what yeah. sort of ideal cities can be. Um, I haven't even talked about like, you know, an ideal city is probably one that's affordable for everyone has enough housing. No, we didn't, we didn't get um, to the you know, economic side. We didn't of it even, we, 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 we basically just talked about the design, basically the design of an ideal city, yeah. you know what I mean? Like how it should be, how it should be laid out and what we've enjoyed from the cities around the world that we've been to and what we think they do well. Maybe we'll talk about what these ideal cities do wrong next time. That could be, that could be really interesting, yeah. you know, look at where, where they, where they fail, what could be better about There's it. There's certainly a lot to work on. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. <laughs> there is no city that is perfect. Not oh God, no. Yeah, for sure. So it's been great talking yeah, to you. Yeah, uh, it's been great. I'll talk to you in two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone, everyone, you can find our show notes and descriptions of what we talked about on subjectradio.com slash polis slash 004. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, man. Thanks so much. I'll see you soon.